Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the grace that you have given us to follow you and often to follow you in alien situations where your ways are not always accepted by everyone. I pray that today you will come among us and reorientate us to Jesus Christ and help us to follow him as we should. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you remember where we've got to in the story? Moses, he's 80. Uh, He's been living his life as a farmer out in the countryside for the last 40 years, for a generational period. You've got married to someone who's not an Israelite, not an Egyptian either. And all of his previous life as a prince of Egypt has probably been long forgotten. And maybe even that inner stirring that he had, that his people, his mother's people, his father's people, should be free from the bondage they were in in Egypt. Maybe even that heartbeat's calmed down now. Maybe it's stopped beating hard. Maybe it's been forgotten in a land of relative plenty and ease and simplicity. And yet, a bush has suddenly appeared to be on fire. And a voice has come out of the bush And it said to him, as you heard last week, come forward, you're on holy ground. And it's told him that there is a God, as his mother had told him when he was an infant. And that God has heard the affliction of his people in Egypt and heard the cry of the taskmasters. And he knows their sufferings. And that God is coming to deliver. There's going to be deliverance. And Moses has been living for so long in ease and comfort. That whatever stirred him to even murder as a young man, to back up the heartbeat that he's got, whatever stirred him to say, there's got to be a change, now needs to be reawakened in him. And he says, what's the guarantee? What's the guarantee that if I go to the most powerful person in the known world and say, you've been a very naughty boy. (laughs) That I don't just get slapped in the face or worse, knocked down. God, are you really suggesting that I go back to the person who was probably my stepbrother growing up and tell him off when people every day are killed? for breathing in the wrong way in his sight. And so he says to God, what can you possibly give me that will back up a calling to comfort the oppressed and see my people set free? And God offers him a word. Just one word. And it's pregnant with meaning. And let's see if we can capture what it means today. Moses says, if I come to my people and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God says to Moses, Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. It translates either I am who I am, or I will be 
who I will be. Hidden in the meaning are are these things. Firstly, that God is self-existence and doesn't depend on anything else for his creation. He just is. Where does God come from? Children often ask. Alpha course people say. He just is. I am who I am. Number two, God is the creator and sustainer of everything that exists. Yahweh means it all is of him. Everything that is, is contained within who he is. He makes and holds it together. Number three, he is not changeable in his fundamental being and character. He's not in the process of becoming something different from what he is now. Jesus Christ, we hear in the New Testament, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am who I am. I will be what I will be. I am. If you've met me in a burning bush, I will be the same person when you stand before an oppressive ruler. I am the same God, now and forever. Is the God of the Old Testament different to the God of the Father of Lord Jesus Christ? Not at all. He is who he is. Jesus knew God as the I am God, the I am who I am God. The Father of Jesus, the same as the I am God, the Yahweh God. And lastly, uh, that God is eternal in his existence. He's never going to go. He's never going to fade. He always has been and he always will be. All of this hidden in one word, Yahweh. An eternal God who is unchangeable, unmutable, who depends on no one or nothing for his existence, who has created all things, is sending you to say, set my people free to someone who bows down before the moon, which is just a rock in the sky created by God. Someone who kneels before the sun, which is just a ball of fire. The God who made everything, the Yahweh God, is the God who is with you. And God says to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus am I to be remembered throughout all generations. Get the elders together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I've observed you and what's been done to you in Egypt. He's also then a God of history. What's happened in the past is important. What he promised to Abraham is important. What he promised to Isaac's important. What he promised to Jacob's important. What he's promised to this church family is important. What he's promised to the people who've poured themselves out for this nation is important. What William Tyndale held on to when he translated the scripture into English for the first time was important. What the people who built this building as a plant from St. Nicholas Chiswick 175 years ago, knew of God, is important. He's the God who understands our history and locates us in it, and he says, I'm still that same God. Have you heard him whisper in your heart before? At a wedding day 65 years ago? Have you heard his voice? He is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. And look, he is an observant God. I've observed you and what's been done to you in Egypt, and I promise this. I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I'm going to take you from the place of your pain to a place 
flowing with milk and honey. It's a good deal, isn't it? It's 400 years in the making, but it's a good deal. Why is it taking them so long to get out of Egypt? Have they not been suffering for long years now? When Moses was born 80 years ago, the children were being murdered. Why is it 80 years before God is going to deliver them? Why this pain adding up? And it doesn't offer a full answer here. But one of the reasons, as it says elsewhere, is that God was waiting until the full sinfulness of the nations that God was going to out so that the Israelites could come in had been built up. God was looking on these Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, who had allowed stewardship of that land. And at the point where they were unsustainable, uncontrollable, uh, unfair to be in the land anymore. He said, enough's enough, you're out. What was so bad about them? They would sacrifice children to Moloch, a pagan god. They would treat people unjustly. They would do terrible wrongs. It is not a surprise, is it, for us who have read works of literature and seen films and seen art that the human condition can go utterly wrong. You only have to have been forced to study the Lord of Flies at school to realize how a few humans left to their own devices without law can plague a land. And despotic rulers can inflict great suffering on people. There was suffering in Egypt, and there was terrible injustice and suffering in what would become the promised land. And God's action plan is to take his people, to give them laws, to give them a way to represent him, and say, here's a land. I want you to be my people living my way, doing my things, and see if we can see kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And we'll hear how that pans out over the coming weeks. Here in this passage, the focus is on supporting Moses at the beginning of this journey. What are they going to do? Are they going to follow me? Are they going to listen to me? And God says, I am who I am. I'm not going to change for anyone. I'm not going to yield my principles for anyone. I am an absolute God. Holy is the Lord. One of the first things that's said about God even before this is, I am a jealous God, and jealous is my name. I do not share my glory with another. He just is. You can't have worship of Yahweh and worship of the moon. You can't have worship of God and, in Jesus' terms, worship of mammon, the materialistic God. You're either in it with Yahweh or in it with mammon. You can't serve them both together. And when mammon's ruling, God sends deliverers to say, let my people go. And here, he's going to stretch out his hand. He'll strike Egypt with all the wonders he will do in it. 
And Egypt, it says, will let his people go. And not only will they end up letting people go, Moses, they'll also pay you to go when you go. Because God can do incredible things. He can provide finances through the most unlikely of places and use it for his good, ultimately. And eventually, in his judgment on the Egyptians, he will plunder them. Friends, judgment isn't always the nicest theme uh, we like to look on until we realize it's actually the cry of our hearts. We're desperate for a God who judges, aren't we? Have you not ever said, why is there suffering in the world? Why is there pain? Why is there injustice? Have you never said that? Have you never had that heart cry? Or have you lived so long in comfort that it's never crossed your mind that there might be horrific suffering and pain? When we say, why is there suffering? We're asking for someone to sort out the bad from the good, aren't we? That's the point of the question. We assume that there ought to be a right order. Yeah? And in assuming that, we're saying, please, could someone make the right order and establish it on earth as it is in heaven? And the person who decides between right and wrong, we call them a a judge. So when we say, why is there suffering, God? We're saying, why aren't you judging us, God? Why aren't you getting the right from wrong? And when we hear that ultimately God will judge injustice, it should give us great hope in our hearts that evil will not always prevail. That there is a better place coming in the future, but also there can be a better place now where what is wrong will not prevail over what is right. Because there is a judge. Actually, if you've got any bug to bear with God, it probably should be this. Why does it take you so long to judge God? Why do you tolerate this for so long? Why don't you just intervene and sort it out now? And the answer, like here in Exodus, is sometimes God gives us enough rope to hang ourselves with before he lets us kick away the podium that we're standing on. Gave Egypt a chance. And gave them a whole load of chances in the next few chapters. But they harden their hearts, harden their hearts, harden their hearts. So today, what do you need from God? Do you want to know why there's pain in the world? Do you want a place where there's no more suffering? Do you need a judge? Are you ready for him to come in judgment and sort it out? Have you repented? Are you ready for him? And, well, on the other hand, if you're sitting there going, please God, do something. Do know that it is his heart to do something. He does come to intervene. And he won't leave us in a mess forever. One day he will right every wrong. Every tear will be gone. Every injustice will be fixed. And those who have oppressed the poor 
will be sent away empty. And those who have been poor will be filled. May God bless his word to us in Jesus' name.